You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. All right, so Mark chapter 2, verse 13, that's where we're going to be diving in. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were the sorry, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him, eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at two things, really, to to, to summarize what we're after this morning. We're going to be looking at who does Jesus call to himself? So who does Jesus call? And then the second thing is, how, how does he bring us in? How does he bring us to him? Because I think these things are very important. And what's noteworthy about this passage is that Jesus is, once again, he's surrounded by this large, gap, this large crowd listening to his teaching. As we've seen him do regularly in the book of Mark, he's either healing or teaching, it feels like, constantly. And so he has this following. He has a group of people that want to hear what he has to say, that want to see what he's able to do. And what's interesting about Jesus is who he invites to be his followers. Because we see in our story that as he leaves, you know, this crowd of people hanging on his every word, it's when he passes this tax collector booth that we see Levi, or you know, aka Matthew. This is where Jesus calls out to this man and he says, follow me, or I want you to follow me. Just a little plug for the series The Chosen. I'm like super late to the game and just started watching The Chosen, I think like maybe four months ago, and I will do it in these random stints. But I actually really appreciate the way that they they frame Matthew because Matthew carries almost this like autistic personality where he's a little bit awkward in social situations and he's but he's very detail oriented and it, it fits when you look at the book of Matthew and the way that it's written and the detail that he caught as he kept track of everything that there's a very good possibility and I love that they kind of wove that into the story a little bit. But so they, they ask, Jesus comes to this man and he says, I want you to follow me. And this, this moment, I don't think we can understand the gravity of what is happening in this, this moment and in this part of the story. Because tax collectors, they were, they were hated because they were another way that the Jewish people could feel that they were under the, throne, the thumb of Rome that they really weren't their own free people anymore. 
that they had to follow Roman rule. And many of the tax collectors would be Romans themselves, and they would actually go, and the way that they would survive is they would charge an additional percentage on top of whatever. So if the Roman government said, hey, we want 4% of everything that comes through here on goods and merchandise and all this different stuff, and people, you just need to make sure you're covering the four. And then people like Matthew would go, okay, well, I'm going to charge an additional six to cover my living expenses and to give me an opportunity to, to rise up. So these people were seen as, as crooks and evil, and they were, they were very, very hated because of the way they charged additionally to make their living. And they would end up putting these heavy burdens on the people. But this is the thing about this part of the story is Matthew is not a Roman. Matthew is a Jew. And so he's hated all the more because he was putting these heavy weights and burdens on his own people. He was despised. People would turn away from him and mock him. There was a good chance people would harm him if he did not have a Roman guarding him. You know, because most tax collectors, they would have a Roman that would stay close by because if somebody didn't want to pay the tax, the Roman would enforce. They're like, if you're not going to pay it, you're going to pay it in blood. But this is the thing. Matthew was this absolutely despised person. And so I say this because I, I, I cannot think of someone, at least I, and I couldn't think of someone as I was preparing, that would fit into this category today in our modern moment and 2023. None of it felt like it was a good fit and it would do justice. In my studies, though, and as I read and as I prepared for this, some pastors and teachers actually would, they would liken Matthew to a Jew who was selling out his own people to the Nazis in World War II. That's kind of the, the level and the gravity of what's going on. That's the hatred and the, the ugliness of what would be expressed. So Matthew is this person who's no longer able to come to worship God, even though he is from the people of God. He's not respected. He's hated. He's isolated from the general population. But it's this man that Jesus comes up to and he says the words, follow me, or I want you to follow me. I want you to be my student. You are the person I want to pass my teachings along to. And so Matthew does. He leaves his booth. He leaves his financial security. He leaves his protection. And he begins to follow this man. And he has Jesus over to his home, and those who are and it invites everyone that's willing to associate with this man, which was other tax collectors and prostitutes. Those whose work was seen as shameful or disgraceful, and it caused them to be a social outcast, to be seen as unclean, unwanted. And this is a big deal in this moment. Because Jesus seems incredibly comfortable at this table. And he would eat with these people, which in Jewish culture was a big deal. It was a big no-no in that day. Because who you ate with symbolized who you associated yourself with. 
in Jesus' day, who you ate with was a picture of you becoming one with them. There was this, there was this uh, process that would happen through the meal because remember in their day, it's not like they sat down and they had forks and knives and ate the way that we ate. Everything was family style. So you, you know, if you're wanting bread, you reach over and you rip off some bread and somebody else reaches off and rips off some bread. and You're sharing all of these things. So it's incredibly intimate to eat with someone like this. The only time I can ever really liken eating like this with someone was I went to a, I had a friend when I was in Bible college out in Uganda, and he was a Sudanese man. And he's like, oh, I really want to show you my culture. I want you to come to the Sudanese restaurant. So we go, and we're sitting at this table, and I'm kind of looking around like, all right, where's like spoon and my fork and all this stuff. And he's like, oh, that, we don't have those, man. Like, And he's like, you have this like bread that you dip in this soup and you eat. But we're like sharing it. So we're reaching it. And it was just this really intimate and special thing. There was a really beautiful picture in that. The food itself was a little less than desirable, which some of you have heard that part of the story, but I'll spare the rest of you, of you from that. Uh, so there's this idea where it's, it's beautiful and it's, it's intimate. It's this idea of you're welcoming someone to be a part of you. And so the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they look at this and they're offended. And they're questioning, why would you spend time with this person? Why would you want to associate with this? You know, I remember when I first came into the church, you know, you would always hear that, that line where it's like, Jesus just hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. And that's true, he did. You know, it says that the majority of his followers were prostitutes and tax collectors at this point. But the thing I want to point out about Jesus is the people that spent time with Jesus looked more like Jesus. He didn't look like them. And so there was this aspect of, the holiness of God coming in and engaging with the people. And that's there's something to that that I think is really important. He didn't just assimilate with them, but he called them to himself, and they wanted to be like him. And so the, ta- the, the Pharisees are saying, why would he spend his time here with these people? Why would he do that? The tax collectors, the homeless, the alcoholics, the drug addicts. The prostitutes, the broken, the crippled, the abused. Those that don't fit in with our culture. The unwanted. And church, I want to ask you, who is that for you? Because I think in our year that we live, nobody wants to add a, add, like stand up and be like, this group is unwanted. I don't want them. Because that would be incredibly not politically correct. And that would be not nice. But if we're honest, you know, our church, we talk about following Jesus authentically. So we need to be honest, brutally honest with what's going on in our hearts. Who is that for you? Who is the unwanted? Some would say the church. Some would say the people of God. They've they're hurtful and they're harmful. Some would say, man, the drug addicts, the homeless, the alcoholics, they're dangerous. They could hurt us, which is true. 
But I'd also point out, the church can hurt you pretty bad too. The trans community, oh, I don't, I don't, we can't touch that. We don't want that. Because the beauty of Jesus is he could walk in and sit down with anyone. And when I think of my own, who I want to be as a follower of Jesus, I want to be like that. I want to be someone that can walk in and sit down and have a conversation. I don't need to be Billy Graham and have the stadium where I'm calling people to repent. But just to sit and listen to their story. To ask some questions that probe them in the right direction. When I was in the church, when I left my last church, I became a beer truck driver. And it was a it was a really fun job. I worked in San Francisco, right in the heart of the city. And so I would kind of bounce around from different drivers and was like their assistant until I was driving myself. And there was a season, or there was a few weeks where I got put in the Castro district, which is a very, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's the gay community of San Francisco. And so you're just going into bar after bar after bar after bar. And the guy, when we were going in, he's kind of like giving me the lowdown on who to talk to, who to kind of avoid, you know, all these different things. And I really enjoyed my season of being in those bars and talking with those people because I got to hear story after story about their childhood and their upbringing. And, you know, they were kind of like, most of you guys just kind of come in and drop the keg and bounce. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like, how long have you owned your bar? You know, what made you want to be a bar owner? And talking through these things. And so they were like, how did you become a beer truck driver? Like, what made you want to do that? I was like, well, you know left my old church. I used to be a pastor for 10 years and feel called to plant a church out in Boise and I need to get a job that, you know, pays the bills so my family can survive. So this is kind of where we, we headed. And they're like, you used to be a pastor? Like, yeah. And they would always say this point, they're like, man, I'm like really surprised that you're, you used to be a pastor because you're so kind that you'd be willing to walk into my establishment and that you care about me. And I remember I'd always say the same thing to them. And it's, it's coming from a genuine place. It's like, well, I believe you're created in the image of God. I believe that God still loves you, regardless of your choices. And they would be like, hmm. You know, and then they'd make some comment trying to, like, flirt with me when I'm walking out. So I was just trying to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> and I'd just laugh and, like, kind of throw something back at them, you know, just have fun with them. But the Pharisees, they're offended by Jesus' actions. They're offended by who Jesus is hanging out with. But Jesus is intentional in this moment. Because Jesus' reply to the Pharisees says everything. And we've all heard it probably a thousand times where he says that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus is making a point, And they are missing. He's, what he's saying is he's saying, you've missed it. And I think we can miss it too. Who is Jesus calling to himself? He's not calling the spiritual elite. He's not calling the righteous. He's not trying to create this super devoted spiritual elite that is going to overtake and overthrow the Romans. Because our faith as followers of Jesus isn't about getting it right or doing nice things. The Pharisees saw these people 
eating with Jesus and they saw them as unclean. They were a problem. And they needed to be moved aside. They were unworthy, unwanted people. They were forbidden on coming into the temple to worship God. But the God of the temple is now sitting across the table eating with these people in a very intimate way. Eating and drinking and talking and laughing with them. Like if you just sit and allow that to weigh in on your soul, that God is, is laughing with these people as he's telling them stories. Because Jesus wasn't a seminary professor. He was the God-man. It's in this moment that what Jesus is doing is he's inviting everyone into relationship with him. Because Jesus chose one of the most hated people to be one of his disciples. And it's at this man's house that these people are finally welcomed in. This great new teacher isn't found among the religious, discussing intense controversial doctrine. But instead he's sitting across the table, making jokes and laughing and engaging with these people that are prostitutes. That are drug addicts and outcasts and crooks. If you, and I, I can't recommend this book high enough. This is a, this is a book that is probably, it's probably not on my top ten, but it's pretty high up on my list. But it's by Tim Chester. It's called A Meal with Jesus, and I think he says it best where he says, Jesus the Savior can't do his work unless he's with sinful people. And what he's, what Tim Chester's talking about in this book is he's you know, many times there's another guy that says that Jesus was always eating. If you're reading through the Gospels and you pay attention, he's either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or about to have a meal. Like, he's just constantly eating throughout the entire of the, entire, entirety of the Gospels. And so Tim talks about this idea of how meals are means of reconciliation. How meals are means of hospitality. How meals are ways of connecting in a really deep and meaningful way. Because redemption and transformation doesn't happen with those who are perfect or have it all figured out. But redemption and transformation happen when it comes to those that need it. The Pharisees felt they didn't need it. They had it figured out. They knew their theology. They knew what they wanted. And it wasn't Jesus. So the second thing, how does Jesus bring us in? What's amazing about Jesus is how he connects us with people. It's incredibly simple and practical. He just just eats with them. It's not through knowledge. It's not through magic. It's not through miracles. But it was the simple act of eating with them. Because food matters. I love food. If you know me, I love food. Meals matter. Meals are full of significance. And I would say few acts are more expressive of companionship than a shared meal. Because someone who I'm sharing a meal with, we share food, and who we share food with is likely to become our friend. And if they're not, they're well on the way to becoming one. Something really special and beautiful happens over a meal. Phil Stutz, the psychologist, states that one of the ways you can actually battle depression 
in his experience is actually by going out and sharing a meal with someone. He and he, his claim is that you don't even need to go and have a meal with somebody that you necessarily really like. His claim is that you take your, you take yourself out of your mind and you ground yourself into reality, and that you're a part of a bigger community rather than just yourself. And church, this is why at Missional Community, our, our small group gathering where we are trying to be formed more and more into the image of Jesus, why we always gather and share a meal. Because there's something beautiful about coming together around a meal. It does something to us. It brings a level of community that is so deep and rich. And the beauty about sharing a meal with someone, it actually isn't about like how fancy or nice the meal is. Like I can say as, as the members of our MC, I probably bring the worst things to MC. When it's like, when I'm trying to figure out what I'm bringing, it's like, all right, I'm bringing Dino Bites and mac and cheese, like <laughs> super simple things. And then my wife steps in and we bring something actually that's really beautiful and nice. <laughs> but what about you and me here in 2023? Because we're not, we're not with Jesus back in the ancient world. We're not in Jerusalem. There's no Pharisees running around that we can see with that title. I believe this story is an opportunity where Jesus is inviting us into the same purpose and mission. Because what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is modeling a spiritual practice. And I do, I believe it is a spiritual practice to eat with the people that are far from God. Because it isn't about you just being a receiver of grace. But it's about you bringing that grace out to others. A lot of you know that I was a part of a 12-step program for a season. And one of the things that's always been interesting to me is the final step. Because in the 12-step groups, I always envision like you get to step 12, you do it, and it's like, all right, I'm at the top of the stairs. I'm good. Like, I get to walk away. I'm healed. But this is what the 12-step actually says. It says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps... We tried to carry this message to alcoholics or whatever the step group is on to practice these principles in all, all our affairs. So in reality, the end is you go and you share it with someone else, the blessing that you've received, and you go and continue pushing the message forward that there's this hope, that there's this healing. And church, our mission is the same. As children of God, we are called to invite others into that family. And the simple question I have for you this morning is, how do you know when you're family? I'm really curious what you guys think. So feel free to, like, call it out. What, what makes you, how do you know when you're family? Because it's more than like, hey, cool, we have the same last name. There's a lot of Newtons out there. There's, a, there's another Michael Newton, too. He's a doctor. I want to meet him one day. You know in your family when you're expected to do chores. 
Have you ever thought about that? When you walk in the room and it's not like, oh yeah, like make yourself comfortable. It's like, no, there's there's dishes in the sink. I need some help with the dishes. There's some laundry to be done. You know your family when you're not just told to sit back and relax and be comfortable. In church, I believe Jesus is and, and the Holy Spirit is saying that to us. We're not called to sit back and, and kick up our feet and relax and be comfortable. It's like, no, you see the dishes in the sink. You see that trash is piling up. It's time to lend a hand and jump in. You aren't treated like a guest, but you are. And that, not that like there's just God's just sitting there being like, I'm going to put you to work. But no, you get to participate as a contributing member to the family as a whole. And so church, I want to encourage you, live into that mission, live into that purpose, be like Jesus, eat with people far from God, be one with them, share your heart, your family, your story, your faith, because we are all sick, or we are all the sick and the sinner in our story, in this story, and we all need someone to invite us into Jesus' presence, just like Matthew did with his friends. And I believe God has placed people in your path that he wants you to share with. That he wants you to invite into this community. And I want to encourage you to have faith and allow him to do that good work. Because it's at this moment I want to invite all of you into that. That purpose and that mindset. Next week, as we continue in our series, we're going to look at some spiritual practices that Jesus invites his followers into. How he views the Sabbath, how he views fasting. And I think it's a really beautiful picture because he's eating with these people. And then he's being questioned on these different topics. But these are the things that Jesus does expect to be happening in our lives. And so I want to invite you into that process to, to ask God, is there someone that he's stirring in your heart or in your mind's eye to go and to allow to hear the gospel, to be brought in, to be a part of the family? And so it's at this moment, I actually want to invite all of you to come up and grab the communion elements. We're going to take a moment and sing a song. And I wanted to take communion together as a church because... For each of us, this is a moment where we recognize that we're all recipients of his forgiveness and his grace. But it's also the place that we realize that we're part of the family of God, that we're all on equal footing with one another. That Jesus has made a way for us to be connected in a, in a deep and meaningful way. And so, as we play this last song, as you hold these elements, may your heart be filled with gratitude as you Hold the bread, remembering Jesus' body, broken for you. And as you hold the cup, remembering Jesus' blood, poured out so that your sins can be washed and you can be forgiven. And the beautiful gift of receiving that personally, but also the tremendous honor he gives us in allowing us to be somebody else, to go to bring that news to someone else. 
We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from Boise Community Church. To find more resources and information about Boise Community Church or to give to the mission of Boise Community Church, please visit us online at boisecommunitychurch.org. If you were encouraged by today's podcast, please rate and review it so more people can discover the hope and joy of Jesus' love.